What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everybody, to The Basement Binge. Welcome back to the movies as well. Holy moly, it is great to be back in the theater seeing a movie. And it's great to be recording a podcast. Took a little bit of a break, but we're back. We're back with movies in the theater. Obviously, movies have still been in the theater for a while, but we're back with what seems like the return to movies coming back in the theater. I mean, you you clicked on this episode. You know what it's about? A Quiet Place 2 is what we're talking about today. We're going to keep it a little bit spoiler-free. And then eventually towards the end, get into the spoilers, but there'll be fair warning before we get into that point. But I was, I was saying, though, that this is one of the few times that it feels like being back in the theaters in like the real sense, in the way that I was in a theater with a group of other people who were mutually excited about what we were about to watch. And it wasn't just like me and my wife and like no one else, because um, we've gone to see some movies and I've gone to see some movies with my family members. Well, we were like the only ones in the theater. Granted, it wasn't packed, um, nowhere even close, but, but still, it, it feels like a genuine return to a little bit normal at the movie theater. So super excited to talk about A Quiet Place 2. Great follow-up to the first one. We'll get into it with the very first segment here, Two Cents. So Two Cents, if you're new to the podcast here, thank you for downloading. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the episode. But the Two Cents, what it is, is my two-minute yeah, I try to keep it within two minutes. Knee-jerk reaction to the film, completely spoiler-free. Granted, more of the episode is going to be spoiler-free because this is a newer film, but still, Two Cents is just my immediate reaction uh, and a little bit disorganized thoughts about the film. So I'll give myself two minutes. I may actually set a timer so I can be clear with myself here. Actually keep myself on track. Okay, two minutes. Here we go. And I, I want to start this Two Cents as, half, as quickly as I have to by talking about A Quiet Place, the original, the first one. I was able to enjoy that film and review it. In fact, there's an episode about it you should check out if you haven't already. But I was able to enjoy it because it isn't traditional horror. I'm a total wimp and and not good with horror. I, I'm not good with it. But A Quiet Place is ultimately a family drama. John Krasinski has talked about this a lot. I talk about it a lot, about how it's a story about the family of the Abbots and how that family is going through scary and horrific things. And because the story is told in a way you care about this family, and so naturally you are horrified and terrified because of the things that are happening to this family. A Quiet Place Part 2 continues that story completely naturally. The Abbots continue this horrific journey of survival that they're on with a broken family. If you haven't seen the first film, or you don't know anything about it, skip ahead by like 30 seconds, super small spoilers for that. But... 
Lee, the father, is gone. Their family is broken, and they have to move on from this safe place that they were before that is now completely destroyed, both literally and kind of figuratively and emotionally. The first film was like a family drama survival type horror movie, and this is now a family drama adventure survival type horror movie, where the first one was they were in a location trying to survive the onslaught attack from these creatures, where now, because of that destruction, they're having to seek safety and refuge and survival in a completely other place. And I love the way that the story is told. I love the subtlety for each character and how the character arcs continue. I love the themes presented that we're going to talk about and fall in. I love the new characters. The actors did a phenomenal job. Cinematography, especially, and the music are amazing. I love both of those. Uh, John Krasinski, he's really shown his chops as a director, and I'm excited for whatever his next project is. Even though it's not going to be in the Quiet Place universe, he's really... There's my timer, but I'm going to keep going. He, he's really shown his chops as a director, especially in the way the subtlety and, and little nods to characters continue. Specifically, I want to talk about Killian Murphy. He's new to this franchise, if we're calling it that, and he's amazing. His character was super interesting to me and, and his connection to the Abbots. And I'm going to talk about that more because I'm trying to keep it spoiler free, but he does an amazing job. Obviously, it's a quiet film. There's not a lot of words and, and strong dialogue that's spoken and the portrayal of the emotions and the circumstances is subtle through the physical performance of the actors, specifically on their face. And he, Killian Murphy, of course, does an amazing job. Emily Blunt, as always, she is amazing. She knocks it out of the park, specifically in the motherly role. But most of the weight for the film and the story lies on the two kids, Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe, and they both crush it. They did an amazing job, Millie especially, but both of them have the responsibility and, and the weight of, of carrying this story forward, and their arcs are the biggest and the strongest, and they, they perform so well, and it's amazing. I will say a small complaint as I wrap up this two cents here. The ending was a bit weak, like literally like the last scene. And then there's one other scene that was like nice, but it felt a little bit unnecessary and I'm not 100% sure why it was there. There's some other tropes, you know, like jump scares. While being used in, in, incredibly well and fittingly so, there's things like that that are a little bit overused and tropes and ideas that are, are used just a little bit too much. It's very, very small, incredibly minor complaints, but really the film is amazing. I was literally on the edge of my seat. It is tense and the dread is just extended out so much. I, I don't know. It reminds me of Sicario. Maybe it's just because of Emily Blunt, but the way that John Krasinski is able to drag out the tension over an extended period of time than it like normally should be contained in makes it just terrifying. You know, it's not like, yeah, it, it, the same thing. These characters and this family that you care about are going through horrible things and the the impending I don't know, negative consequences of the world that they're living in and what is going to happen and the dread of that, how it's drawn out over extended period of time is amazing. Except for one scene, I felt like it was dragged out just a little bit too much, but again, extremely minor complaint. Just amazing film. I'm incredibly impressed with it. Yeah, that, that's the two cents. I was probably like four minutes, maybe even six minutes. Those are my thoughts. Two cents, we'll wrap up there. Now, normally, if you're a consistent listener of The Basement Binge, this is where we would drop the spoiler wall and we get into the spoilers. But because this is a newer film, I'm going to keep it spoiler free for a little bit longer. So feel free to stick around if you haven't seen the film. Before I do that, though, I want to briefly talk about an announcement. Please continue to leave reviews on Podchaser. It really helps out the show a ton. I really, really appreciate everyone who 
left reviews in April for that giveaway we had. It went to an amazing cause, Meals on Wheels, while also benefiting the show. For those of you who don't know, really briefly, Podchaser, it's often referred to as like the IMDb of podcasting. You can go on, you can view podcasts, you can view the creators, not just for the Basement Binge, but any podcast, anywhere. You can listen to the podcast there, you can see all the episodes, and you can leave reviews for the show. You can leave a review for the show as a whole or for each individual episode. So it really helps out the show a lot if you leave those reviews or even if you share those reviews even better. But for every review that is left, either on the basement binge or the episode, you will be entered for a chance to win a screen pass on me. Now, I also learned during this break that I had recently that the screen pass is only available to people here in the US. So if you're outside the US, those international listeners, I'm so sorry, I'm still working on a way that I can give back for these reviews that's affordable and sustainable for me. But if you're here in the US and you're interested in a screen pass, I've got like 85 movies on there. In essence, the screen pass is just from Movies Anywhere. Any eligible film I have, I can lend you a digital copy of for like 30 days that you can watch one time like a rental. But it's for free and I'll give it to you if you leave a review on Podchaser. Appreciate it. Anyway, short announcement, moving on. All right, moving on to the next segment here, pick your poison. So what this is, again, if you're new here to The Basement Binge, Thank you for so much for being here, as always. But the Pick Your Poison is a rating scale here at the Basin Binge. Way back when, when it was me, Kate, and Kelton designing the show, and we were talking about it, we we didn't like the traditional rating scales of, you know, out of 10 or percentage, or even out of five stars. We felt like that was was limiting to how enjoyable a film is because, you know, the way that we're going to talk about Transformers or even about the MCU is way different than we're going to talk about something incredibly serious. And it makes rating really difficult. So pick your poison. The way it's broken down is there's, it's how you respond or would interact with the film after seeing it initially. So bottom of the ranking is obvious to never watch it again. Above that is to stream it, which is kind of the idea if it was on a streaming service you were already paying for and there was just like a hole of content you were trying to fill and you're just like, oh, whatever, you know, it's on Netflix. We'll just watch it, whatever. You can kind of get the idea of what that would be. Above that is to rent, be willing to seek it out and pay a few dollars for it. And then top of the list is to buy it, be able to have it, watch it as many times as you can. Now, traditionally, I am someone who buys a lot of movies. And so I realized that every single time I was like, buy. I think for like the longest time, like the first 50 episodes, maybe, I think I ranked everyone a buy. So the scale was designed to be more accurate in how we enjoy movies, but then it's also just flawed inherently by my hobby of buying movies. So A Quiet Place Part 2, where would I actually rank it now actually into picking my poison? I want to buy this film partially because I want to watch it again. I, I just love the theme and how it's portrayed. I find it incredibly interesting. I love the direction of it and I love the tension. I, I'm finding myself discovering this weird subgenre of films where it, it could be any genre, any category where tension is just drawn out and kind of escalated beyond what it normally would be. And I, and I love it. And it, it literally makes my heart pound. Like thinking about it, I'm almost getting a little bit anxious. My hands are getting clammy and I love it. So this film definitely fits in that category, but I have no idea what's going to happen because literally during the film in the theater, my wife kept leaning over to me multiple times and saying, we are not buying this. This is way too scary because <laughs> we were both terrified. It was genuinely so scary. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But as far as the ranking goes, it is a film that I really do want to see again. I would totally rush out to the theater and see this again if given the opportunity, you know, if I was going with friends or something. There we go. That's Pick Your Poison. Next is Live Up. This is a unique segment that's only here when it's a film that I'm seeing for the first time, specifically films and theaters are great for this, right? 
we have a high anticipation, especially for these films that are coming out after so many delays for these films. So Live Up is a section, a segment of the show where I can talk all about what my expectations were for it, why maybe I had those expectations, and if the film was actually able to live up to those expectations and how that went into it. Again, this is still spoiler-free. A Quiet Place Part 2 has a lot to live up to. I mean, the, the first film blew me away. I Again, like I mentioned, I'm not a fan of horror. I really don't like it. I've tried with a few films and only made it like partial way through. I remember one time on a date in high school with my wife. We, I mean, obviously we weren't married at the time. We went to a dance and then, then we came back and a group of friends, they were trying to watch a horror movie and I was like trying to come up with every excuse to leave because I just hate horror films. So I had no interest in this, the original. I had no idea what it was and I don't even remember who, but some friends, you know, urged my wife and I to go see it. And I was like, sure, whatever, we'll go see it finally. And like one of the last weekends, it was in theaters. We went in like an empty theater. It was like us and like five other people and saw the original way back in 2017 or 2018, whenever it came out, probably 2018. It doesn't matter. We went and saw the film and it just blew us away. We instantly fell in love with it because it's just great. My, I also realized that my wife is a fan of this, this, almost like thriller-like horror films, uh, specifically one that she always... She, she talks about a lot of films that she's still trying to convince me to watch that I'm too scared of that I think are similar to Quiet Place. Anyway, it just blew us away. So when the second one was coming out, I was extremely excited, especially to see that John Kaczynski was coming back to direct and also that he was writing because I knew from what I had heard about the film, watching interviews with him, watching behind-the-scenes content, that the first film was his directorial debut and was very personal to him. There was a reason that he came out to direct it. And it's because of the personal connection he had to the story. He was a brand new father. And that fear of being a protector for your children is something that you're really connected to with. Naturally, we're not in a world where creatures, of sound-seeking creatures of destruction are not out to get our children. But that same idea of being a protector made it very personal to him. I knew that. Way back in March of 2020, there was a premiere for A Quiet Place Part 2 before the shutdown happened with a pandemic. It was in New York, and one of the reviews from that premiere, some that reviewer mentioned that John Krasinski was there naturally, and he, John Krasinski, mentioned that he liked A Quiet Place Part 2 more than the first, right? So the director, who I knew had a very, very personal an almost intimate relation with the first film, mentions that the second one he likes even more when he was reluctant to even come back for a second. Like, wow, I have a lot of high expectations because, holy smokes, the first one was so great and had a huge response to it. And now the creator of it is saying that the second one's even better. So obviously there was a lot to live up to. And then the shutdown happened and I was like, "Ah, I just can't wait to see it. Finally, it's here and we get to see the film and there were some early critic reviews and they were very, very high in, and these screeners were saying it was so great. So I was highly anticipating finally being able to go and see the film. So my wife, we went and saw it in theaters at Cinemark. It was great. There was a live QA with John Krasinski afterwards from California that was broadcast. It was awesome. We really enjoyed it. So did it live up to the expectations that I had for it? These extremely high expectations that, man, this might exceed the quality of the first one, which was just a breakout film. I have to say that it exceeded my expectations in many, many ways. First, I love that the story just naturally, as John Krasinski said in the QA afterwards, organically continued, right? Like I said, the Abbots, this family surviving a horrible situation, this family is now broken and they have to go on to continue surviving with the destruction of this safe area. 
again, physically and also figuratively. And so there's this, this adventure type film of, of traveling out to a new safe area and the responsibility falling on the characters in different ways and having to rise to the potential of them. And everything just continues so naturally. And the story, everything about the film is telling the story about the Abbots. It's still about them. And I love how fitting that was. If you don't want to know anything about this film, skip ahead by like, I don't know, a minute or something. But this isn't huge spoilers. It's super, super minor. There's this one scene where Noah's character, Marcus, the son, Noah Jupe's character, Marcus, gets injured and he's screaming. Naturally, through the circumstances of the film A Quiet Place, screaming is bad. It attracts creatures. They're already on the run from the creature. There's already some noise that happened. Then he's screaming. And Emily's character, Evelyn, I think is her name, the mother, is trying to calm him down And I'll never be able to do it the same way Emily did, but she calls him baby, a mother calling her son baby, obviously not in a romantic way, but in like a loving, intimate, and terrified way. And and the love and the fear and the anxiety expressed in that that one word, I just thought was amazing. And it, it drives the connection I had to this family and that horror in that exact moment and throughout the film even more. I just thought it was amazing the way that they were able to continue the journey of the family going through horrific events and how terrifying that is because we care about this family even further. Of course, there's great things about how the universe of A Quiet Place expands and other characters existing in it and things that happen and yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah, it's great. It's, it, as far as the direction goes, you can see that John Krasinski has gotten a lot better. Cinematography, production design, music are all exceptional it just really did exceed my expectations in both story and technical craft way better than I thought it could have. As far as comparing it to the first film, I think the second film is a better film. I think it's better made. I think it's better written, but I enjoy the first film more. Maybe it's just because it's the first film, you know, you know, sequels sometimes, you know, it's a sequel, but I think that this one is a better film. That's the end of the spoiler-free section. We're moving on to the next segment, Binge Point. It's where we're going to talk about fun details I noticed in it that are kind of inconsequential, fun things I want to point out, maybe behind-the-scenes details, least in likes, and least favorite and favorite scene, and then fall in where we do talk about those themes, those messages, those meanings that I've been mentioning that I really, really loved, and I'm super excited to. Obviously, all those things do involve spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film and you're wanting to avoid spoilers, now's the time to drop off please go to podchaser.com slash the basement binge. It's also in the show notes. Leave a review on the episode. I'd really appreciate it. And subscribe for an episode on Cruella coming very soon in addition to the fast saga. So on to the spoilers. So on to the next segment. Now that we can get into the spoilers, binge points. And if you're new here to the podcast, these are Easter eggs, details, hidden things, not even hidden, just things that maybe aren't super consequential to the rest of the film, behind the scenes details, or just other things that I want to mention that don't really fit into any of the other sections. Granted, it's a new film, so there's not a lot of the behind the scenes things that live QA was really, really short. Um, I was hoping to get like some cool, juicy details out of that. I specifically bought tickets for the one showtime and went in kind of in an awkward time for this QA and then it, like I mean it was good there were some really great things in it but it wasn't great JJ Abrams came out and so did John Krasinski and they talked for like a very short time but it was very short and JJ Abrams did a lot of talking and then so did the audience there were questions from the audience but they didn't have microphones for the audience so we never heard what the audience was asking we only got the response 
from John Krasinski. But then there was also two individuals in the audience who spoke for an extremely long time, like at least a two minutes that we didn't hear at all. And they didn't even ask a question that you were just like complimenting the film. I mean, which was, I mean, good for them that they were there and they were able to do that. But I was like, these aren't the details that I need for binge points. So these are the small things I was able to drag out from that Q&A. And also just, I noticed myself. So the first one that I want to point out that I think is awesome, and you've seen it, if you've seen the film, obviously you're listening to the spoilers, but if you haven't seen the film in the trailer, there's that bus scene at the beginning that we've seen, right? Kind of the prequel part of it, where it's showing the the day the creatures came in a meteor. And so there's that scene where Emily is driving in her car, weaving through traffic and people running around screaming and there's a bus coming at her and she throws it into reverse and backs up. It's crazy. That's an incredibly well-crafted scene and there's tons of super, super fun details about that that I want to notice or that I want to point out. So the first one that I think is really, really cool with the character that Millie plays, I forget her name now, what, whoever Millie's character's name is, the, the deaf daughter, there's a scene where she's sitting in the car and John Krasinski has, ta- has talked about how he's learned from Millie's actual mother that there is an envelope of sound that he calls it frequently that she can hear. So, you know, she can hear a car door bang or loud noises. She may not be able to understand you speak, but she can hear these louder noises and kind of feel it. And there's this envelope of sound. So anytime you get a close up on her, he recreates this feeling of that envelope of sound. And it's really interesting to see the dynamic that obviously John Krasinski's character, Lee, is aware of the chaos and the noise happening around. And he tells Millie's character, you know, it's okay, wait here. And she's just like, okay, like she's totally fine. Like doesn't even look phased because that envelope that she's in is not including all the chaos that's happening around him. Um, and then later as he gets in and she starts to notice things, things escalate. So it's just really interesting to see the scene, how she's sitting there totally oblivious. And then he shuts the door and she kind of hears that and that gets her attention. And then she starts to look around and notice things more and more. I just thought it was very small detail, but really cool. Other things about this scene that are great. They filmed it in a one take. Krasinski mentioned how if he was going to show the time that the mon- these creatures came to this small town, he wanted to show the trauma and the horror of what happened, of how people reacted. And he wanted to put you in the moment with the characters. And he does this masterfully through having a camera in the car with Emily and Noah Jupe's character and the boy I forget his name, who's killed in the first film. It is terrifying. They're, you know, the camera's spinning around while Emily's driving like crazy. There's cars swerving everywhere, extras going everywhere. And so they, this took like three weeks to rehearse. You know, Emily getting familiar with the course. Obviously, she wasn't riding the car. There's a stunt driver on top in those cool, I forget what, like boxcar things they have on top. He's doing the driving and Emily's just kind of acting, performing that she's driving, but there are real cars swerving across the street. There's real extras everywhere. Obviously, the creatures aren't real, but there's a lot of real legitimate effects that are happening, and it took three weeks of rehearsal because that camera in the car that's moving around, you saw the scene, it's, it's, it's panning, it's zooming, it's, it's tilting, it's looking around, it is pre-programmed. You, so it's through a robot arm. You put in the coordinates, so to speak, of how you want the camera to move, and you can't adjust it. So there's no improvising. But you hit go, and the camera's going to start going. So if you're late, the camera might miss you, so to speak. So it took a lot of rehearsal to get it right. And one of those things was that there was a real bus coming towards the car at 40 miles per hour. Legitimately, there was a bus. 
And Emily Blunt, being familiar with the scene, had never really didn't know at all. Like she knew kind of what was happening, but she didn't know that a legit bus was going to be coming at her. Krasinski was trying to tell her, obviously it's his wife as well, in addition to an actor that he's directing. And she's saying like, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want to have the genuine sphere and reaction to it. So she went into it without knowing that a bus was going to come at her at 40 miles per hour and was getting a real performance. And it's just a great scene, the way the long take happens within the car, you know, very reminiscent of Children Men, which Krasinski specifically mentions. It also reminds me of that great scene in the opening of the Power Rangers film, say what you will about the rest of the film, but where it captures the focus of what is happening in the car with so much happening outside of it. It's great. Now, another cool detail, the camera at the end of that scene as Emily's backing up, you know, running from the bus, the camera slowly pushes in on Emily's face. That was unintentional. The rig that was holding the camera broke and it slowly moved towards Emily. Uh, it loved her, as Krasinski said. So great way addition to the film that was totally mistaken, unintentional. It's great. Other things we see about the, the opening is we get to see the dynamics of Lee's character and why he was so successful. We see him respond and understand what's going on way faster than other people. He's telling people to be quiet. He's recognizing that people need to be quiet. He is clearly surviving and his quick thinking and responding, you can see why this family was able to respond. Obviously, there's tons of references and acknowledges to the first film, like showing them that poor little uh, space shuttle thing and, and so on and so forth. Obviously, there's a lot of references. Additionally, Krasinski mentioned in this QA how he, he was really inspired by Hitchcock and specifically Steven Spielberg, like all of us. And there is a reference to him. You can also see this on IMDb Trivia's page. He, he mentioned it in the QA. In the opening scene, there's a pizza place. It's Brody's Pizza. And it's a, knob, a, a nod to the character in Jaws, Chief Brody. Kind of cool. Those are all the, the kind of things that I want to talk about as far as we go for bench points. Moving on to the next segment. Least and likes. We're going to talk about my least favorite scene and my favorite scene. Pretty straightforward. Least favorite scene is not a bad scene. Very well done scene. Very emotional scene. But it's a scene that I mentioned in my two cents that I felt was a little bit unnecessary. So it's when Killian Murphy's character and Millie's character, they've made it to the island. They've gone through this horrible experience with the people in the water and the boats and the creatures coming after them. And they get on the boat and they make it to the island and they have finally reached safety. And, and Killian's character has a great interaction with Millie's character that I'm going to talk about a ton in Fall In. But he goes off from that and stands on the beach and there's a beautiful sunset and the camera pans around him and it just looks great and it's really emotional. He pulls out the picture of his son and he's grieving his son. And it's a great scene. It's really emotional. And, and Killian's acting is phenomenal. He, he just crush that moment. I just have no idea why I was there. The film is about the Abbots and it's about their, their traveling, their survival, their adventure through this horrible situation. And every other moment about this film is telling the story about the Abbots' horrific survival. And that felt like a breakaway from that that is great for the character of Killian, but felt so unconnected from the rest of the film. You know, there's, there's other moments where we see other characters caring about their family and that totally makes sense because duh, but it, it just felt like too long of a breakaway from the Abbots. I don't know. It, it just felt like it didn't fit literally in the theater. I was thinking like, this is a great scene, but why is it here? So that was my least favorite scene, even though it's technically very well made. 
So now we've got my least favorite scene out of the way. Let's talk about my favorite scene. And this is going to connect a lot with Fall In. Because without a doubt, my favorite scene is the ending of the film. Now, I'm not talking about like the last scene of the film, which I find kind of weak. But the conclusion of the film as the story is wrapping up. As the journey for safety, the battle against the creatures that these characters are having is coming to a conclusion. It's happening as Millie's character is on the island broadcasting the feedback from her cochlear implant over the radio and retaliating and, and physically beating the monster with a pole. And Noah Jube's character, Marcus, is in that oven thing, whatever it is, in that basement, walking out with the radio and, and beating the creature. It's a powerful, powerful film with a light motif in the music. I This isn't kind of come close to it, but just so you know that what I'm talking about, it goes boom, 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 something like that. I mean, that wasn't very great. Uh, two songs that in specifically is Leaving the Farm or the best one, Encouraging Feedback. Um, from That's from the the score, the, the album for the score. Marco Bellatrami did a great job. Uh, anyway, that, that light motif is so powerful and, and so emotional. I was not expecting it to move me as much as it did, but it, it moved me to tears, literally. I was so overwhelmed in the way that these characters, and I'm going to talk about this more in Fall In, but the way that the characters overcame the difficulty of the situation that they were in and the, the way that they became the own heroes of their story and the fact that it was the children that did that, I thought was just just powerful. The way that everything was leading up to that moment and leading to that conclusion and and forcing growth in a horrible circumstance, I thought was very, very powerful and was an ending that made sense to happen, but was not, you know, like totally guessable, like, oh, I, 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 this has got to happen. You know, like it, it wasn't predictable, but it was natural and a very, very powerful ending without a doubt. My favorite scene, specifically the music and that light motif that I failed to <laughs> recreate through my, <laughs> through my voice. So with that, let's just move right along into fall in. And this, again, is where we talk about the themes, the messages, meanings of the films that I really loved. And it is really all about overcoming fears. Multi- you know, we could just simplify and say these, these children, these, these teens overcoming obstacles, overcoming fear. Obviously, the circumstance in which they live in the universe of A Quiet Place is horrendous. And none of us should ever go through that. <laughs> I would die instantly. I'm too loud, but they have a fear. Specifically, Noah Jupe's character, Marcus, you see the fear from the first film onto the second film, from the way it starts and how that fear is immediately introduced to him and how it continues on through the all of the first film and how Lee, the father played by John Krasinski, is trying to help him overcome the fear and understand uh, safety and survival and that type of thing to have it end with him overcoming that fear, literally overcoming the creature that causes him fear through the help of his sister. I, I just thought it was amazing, but, but specifically how these children through their bravery took on the mantle of their parents that their parents no longer could and exceeded what their parents were ever able to do. I thought was just, 
that is what happens. The youth of the world are so brave and they are advancing and progressing things in a way and taking up the responsibility that they need to. And I'm, I'm so impressed by so many of them. But let's talk specifically about the film. And let's talk about Millie's character, Reagan, and how she is taking up the mantle of John Krasinski's character, Lee, the father of the story. He is gone. He is no longer part of the family, and they are broken and on the run, literally, because of the destruction that his loss brings. There's no longer safety without him. He was a provider and a survivalist, and, a, and he is what made them successful in the area where so many others weren't. They were able to flourish in a horrible circumstance because of that. Millie takes the role of that brave leader to go out on her own and seek out new safety and seek out new survival. She is literally the provider of safety and refuge for her family that they would not succeed. Their, their ending would be much darker if it was not for Millie's bravery to go out and seek this song that they, she heard on the radio to be willing to go on a brave adventure to seek out a very, very small chance of safety. And also at that point with a creature coming to go to that location and be willing to go through crazy circumstances with a creature right there to broadcast the feedback from her cochlear implant. Just, just like Lee, John Krasinski's character before her, she is taking the steps and the precautions and the, and the survival learning instinct to take up the mantle which I think is a great continuation of her character in the first film, how she felt like her father didn't love her or maybe didn't accept her, or maybe how the lack of survival of her younger brother who died was her fault, that she wasn't a good provider or survivalist, and that she wanted that role. We see her trying to seek it out in the first film and, and Lee's character kind of pushing it off and how in his absence she's able to rise up to that. And one of the great moments of the film that I talked about is when Killian's Murphy, Killian Murphy's character on the island is the one who tells her, you are like your dad. Or I don't remember the exact line, but in essence, he tells her that she is him. And I love that it was his character that did that because even in the, in the trailers and as I saw this character introduced, it would have been really easy to, for writing to have his character just fall into the hole that Lee, Lee's absence was, right? The, the, the provider, the survivalist, the, the protector a little bit. You know, the male lead of the family would have been easy for Killian's character, even if he's not a father and husband, to fall into that role and just replace Lee. Clearly, he is not Lee, and clearly he's not written to replace him. But I think it's a, it's a great understanding of kind of the tropes we associate with these types of things and having him who typically should be that fill-in, telling Millie that she is that fill-in and that successor, I, I just thought was a very, very great scene. But now let's talk about the moment that made me truly, truly emotional in Noah Jupe's character, Marcus, and how he takes up the role that Evelyn, or Emily's Blunt's character, the mother had as the protector of the home and the guardian of life and family. The first film, a lot of the, the circumstances around Evelyn being pregnant and having a child, I don't know if it's a son or daughter, but having a child, 
I don't think that that was a mistake of Lee and Evelyn, you know, like, oh, it slipped, you know, type of thing. Now we got to have a baby in a horrible circumstance. I think it was a devotion of Evelyn that no matter what was happening in the world, she was a protector and guardian of life and she was going to bring life into the world and she was going to find a way to do it safely. Even from that point, she continually protects her children in the first film and in the second film, always seeking out ways to protect them. And, and sh- that's a big theme for her in the first film. Noah, through circumstances of, of the film as we know, is injured and has to stay at their kind of makeshift home, if you will, with the, the, the new child, whether it's his brother or sister, I don't know. But he is forced to be there. And he is very afraid and very scared and almost just interested in his own survival. And I'm not saying that in like a, in a selfish, villainous type of way, but he's a kid. He's young and he's in a horrible circumstance. And obviously everybody's running for their life. So he is not thinking about others. He's, he, his fear only allows him to think about himself and he needs a lot of carrying along because of that. And it comes to the point where he stands up. Well, first, let me talk about this earlier. He goes through a lot and horrible circumstances to protect his younger sibling. And there was a moment where the auction is running out there in that oven thing or whatever it is. And he, as he's, he's passing out, he's not dead yet, but as far as he knows, he is dying. And he is doing his best to give life to his younger sibling, putting the oxygen, what he thinks is oxygen, which is depleted, but giving oxygen to the baby as he is dying, I thought was a powerful, powerful moment. Uh, one that my wife pointed out to me made it even more powerful that she pointed out to me. Just great. But beyond that, after that moment, when he's in that thing with Emily, she's there now. And the, the creature's like reaching in, just about to get them. And the feedback comes over the radio. He just holds it out and, and rises to the occasion to overcome his own fear and the horrible circumstances they're in and to be the guardian of life and that family. And over, literally through a gun and bravery, kills a creature and guards the life of that family, taking up the role of his mother perfectly. I just, that is what life and family is about is the succession of the role and potential of one generation to the next. And, and as the history of the world continues on, new youth and teens and children are going to have to take the responsibility of the circumstances that they are, are in, no matter whose fault or lack of fault it is. There are circumstances that need fixing and obstacles and fears that need overcoming. And as time continues on, that responsibility and the heavier the burden gets, the more and more it weighs on the youth of the world. And I love the bravery and the way that the youth in this film are able to do that. And John in the Q&A specifically talks about and how that was so personal to him as well. And I think one of the many reasons he really enjoyed this film more than the first. I just thought it was a power me- powerful message, you know. The first one was about a family trying to maintain this family unit and trying to find love and existence through grief. And this is about the continuation of the youth taking up the mantle. It's great how it portrays the reality of family. And I love it. So 
that's going to wrap up the episode here. Let me know what you thought. If you, you can comment on the episode, also leave reviews on Podchaser. Let me know. Did you see these themes as well? Did you like them? What did you think about the film? Your least favorite scene? Maybe your favorite scene? Let me know. I'd love to hear about it. Because this is a great film. It was great to be back in the theater. I also just went and saw Cruella with my family. That was a blast. Can't wait to talk about Cruella. But an amazing, amazing film. If you want to see more of what I was doing when I took the break from the episode, you can follow me on Letterboxd, also linked in the show notes. Also, check out Matt Goes to the Movies. Him and I are going to be doing a review on A Quiet Place Part 2 as well. So you can check out his episode. They will be linked in the show notes coming in the next few days. But thank you for downloading, especially if you're new here. Thanks for being a part of The Basement Binge. It's great to be back recording episodes, feeling the excitement of talking about films that I love. Thank you so much for downloading. Definitely subscribe for more episodes coming very, very soon and leave those reviews on Podchaser. Once again, it's great to say this. My name is Harrison. This is The Basement Binge. And that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com.